there. Go have a good time. If you want to, or you can stay in here and listen to me holler. Either way is fine. You know, I like to say I'm not superstitious. I'm just a little stitious. I don't know if you ever, if you caught that or not, but you'll catch it on the way home. I'm not superstitious. I'm just a little stitious, and I forgot to get a fireball this morning, and I get a fireball every Sunday morning, and Braxton just dropped one down to me. So, Braxton, I appreciate that. I feel, I feel ready to preach now. I'm ready to go. All right. A little bit of uh, levity to a uh, difficult subject. So, one in five adults in the U.S. today are experiencing a mental, mental illness. One in five adults today are experiencing a mental illness. 20%. This is uh, according to the Mental Health Alliance. They've done a recent study on this. The data is actually a little bit older, although the study is new, which means it's probably worse than this because we all know what we've gone through in the last couple of years. 21 million U.S. adults are living with depression. 42% of U.S. adults have a diagnosable condition or had a diagnosable condition reported in 2023 that they could not afford access to the treatment that they needed. Couldn't afford the access to it. Either didn't have insurance or had insurance that didn't cover it. Couldn't afford to go to see someone that could help them. One out of every eight emergency room visits involves a mental health or substance abuse disorder, and many times those two things are linked, mental health and substance abuse. 70% of youth in juvenile, in juvenile detention centers have been diagnosed with a mental health disorder. This is the one that bothers me probably the most. Suicide is the number two cause of death for children aged 10 to 14. Number one is accidental death. Let that sink in. So suicide is the number one preventable cause of death for children age 10 to 14, and the, and, the, and the youth statistics are from 2017, and we all know that since 2017, these statistics have gotten worse. 42%, excuse me, 50.2% of U.S. adults that identify as lesbian, gay, or bisexual have a diagnosed mental illness. So if you say that you're in that group, 50% of people that say they are in that group, half have a diagnosed not, not, not like you, th you think they have, like they have gone and gotten help because they have some type of mental issue that they are dealing with. I can keep going. People with depression have a 40% higher risk of developing cardiovascular and metabolic diseases than the general population. People with serious mental illness are nearly twice as likely to develop these conditions. 33.5%, that's one in three of U.S. adults with mental illness, also experience a substance use disorder. That was in 2021. 19.4 million people in this country alone. Unemployment rate is twice as high for those that have a mental illness compared to those that don't. Twice as likely to be unemployed. High school students with significant symptoms of depression are more than twice as likely to drop out compared to their peers. Students aged 6 to 17 with mental, emotional, or behavioral concerns are three times more likely to repeat a grade. Depression is the leading cause of disability worldwide. With statistics like this, would you say that we can ignore this issue. 
Four of you said no. That's good. The rest of you are awake. With statistics like this, would you say that we can ignore this issue? Thank you. Would you be willing to say this is a serious issue? All right. Now we're awake and alive and ready to roll. Well, in that case, welcome to Real Talk. We've been doing this for several weeks, talking about things that are difficult. And this week we're talking about mental health, mental illnesses. Mental illnesses are health conditions involving changes in emotion, thinking, or behavior, or a combination of those things. Mental illnesses can be associated with distress and or problems functioning in social work or family activities. Examples of mental illnesses are depression, anxiety disorders, schizophrenia, eating disorders, and addictive behaviors like obsessive compulsive disorder. Examples of the signs and symptoms of mental illnesses include feeling sad or down, confused thinking, reduced ability to concentrate, excessive fears or worries, extreme feelings of guilt, extreme mood changes of highs and lows, withdrawal from friends and activities, significant tiredness, low energy or problems sleeping, more than just the regular day-to-day thing that we normally feel, detachment from reality, delusions, paranoia, hallucinations, inability to cope with daily problems or stress, trouble understanding and relating to situations and to people, problems with alcohol or drug use, major changes in eating habits, sex drive changes, excessive anger, excessive hostility, excessive violence, and suicidal thinking, suicidal ideation which, looking at the numbers, has skyrocketed in the last three years. Skyrocketed. And many of you know, many of you probably don't know, that I lost my brother in 2006 to suicide. So that is not a subject that I take lightly. It's something that I have dealt with and know the effects of and can see the warning signs of and not something that we should be taking lightly. So... Real talk. Difficult stuff. Stuff that is happening in the world. Stuff that we're all dealing with. Stuff that the church cannot ignore. And we've done a great job of ignoring a lot of these things for decades, I would say. And we're not going to do that anymore, at least not here. Anybody here know who Charles Spurgeon is? One of my favorite preachers. This has nothing to do with what we're talking about. But one time Charles Spurgeon, um, who was it? It might have been Moody. It was a preacher from America, saw him in England, and Charles Spurgeon had a penchant for cigars. He liked to smoke cigars. Uh, This was in the late 1800s. And and the other preacher from America came up to him and said, you know, Charles, you really shouldn't smoke those things. They're not good for you. And he said, well, but you really shouldn't let your your belly be over your belt. But I guess we're both dealing with stuff. So (laughs) it reminded me of the disputable matters that we've talked about in Romans the last couple of weeks in our Bible studies on Wednesdays. But Spurgeon, you may not know, he's one of the greatest preachers that have ever lived. Frequently during his ministry, he plunged into severe depression. He had bad trouble with depression. Uh, Due in part to the fact that he had gout, and and that can cause mental health issues. Uh, But also for other reasons. In a biography called The Prince of Preachers, which is what he is called, uh, his biographer wrote, What he suffered in those dark times of darkness we may not know. Even his desperate calling on God brought no relief. There are dungeons, he said, beneath the castles of despair. I bring that up to say, for those of us that may or may not be dealing with this today, this is not a referendum on your faith. 
Not necessarily. There are things we can do, put into practice, that will help us, for sure. But sometimes life is just hard and difficult, and we go through these issues. So it's not a referendum on your faith. You know, if you just had more faith, or if you were just doing it right, then you wouldn't be going through these things. That's not necessarily the case. You know, there was a, many years ago, there was a Midwestern lawyer, young Midwestern lawyer that suffered from such deep depression that his friends thought it best to keep all knives and razors out of his reach, thinking he may hurt himself. He questioned his life's calling and the prudence of even attempting to follow it through. During this time, this young Midwestern lawyer wrote, I am now the most miserable man living. Whether I shall ever be better, I cannot tell. I awfully forebode, I shall not. But somehow, some way, Abraham Lincoln still managed to make an impact on this world. Something that we all deal with. I read that and I wondered, I wonder who, I wonder who encouraged him. I wonder who spoke life into him, who spoke hope into him. I wonder who it was that when he was on the edge, the cliff, so to speak, proverbially or literally, who was it that said, it was there for him to speak hope into him? I don't know, but I bet it was somebody. I bet you he can tell you who it was for sure. So we're looking at Matthew eleven twenty-eight through 30. This is kind of the turning point of the letter that Matthew wrote. Of the, it's not a letter, excuse me, of the gospel that Matthew wrote. Um, before this, he's talking about Jesus as king, and now at, at chapter 11, verse 20, he switches to talking about Jesus as the sacrificial son of Abraham. He is both things simultaneously. You can never forget that. He is king, but he's also our sacrificial lamb. And th this is kind of switched where, Matt, where uh, Matthew is talking about this here, and we're picking it up. Chapter 11, verse 28, we're going to read those three verses there. It says, Come to me, all who are weary and heavy laden. And I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart. And you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. That capitalized part there, if you're in the NASB, it's capitalized in your copy of the word. It's capitalized because it's a quotation from the Old Testament. It's a quotation from Jeremiah 6, 16, where he says that. And you will find rest for your souls, Jesus using scripture to make his point. So, Jesus says here, this is a quotation, this is in red if you have those type of Bibles. Jesus says, what the world puts on you is heavy. It makes you weary to drag it around, to carry it around all the time. I don't know if you've ever been there, but I've been there before in my life, once or twice or 50,000 times. All the expectations all the demands on your time, all the trying to be good enough, all the trying to get people to like you and respect you and notice you, all the trying to be smart enough or tough enough or pretty enough, all the trying to achieve enough, all the things. I can, I can have enough, I can be enough, I can gain enough, I can do enough, I can, I can be good enough, I can do enough good that I'll finally find peace and rest and be able to relax is what we tell ourselves. And the vast majority of people walk that way through the wide open gate that leads to destruction. They walk that way 
Everybody else is going through it too, and they don't realize until very late in life, the vast majority of people, or even at all, realize that it was all a ruse. All that stuff is a ruse. It's a, it's a house of mirrors. It's not real. You climbed a huge ladder that took you to nowhere. It's not real. What is promised at the end of carrying this, this heavy burden that makes you weary is not real. The burden is real. The weight of carrying the load is real. But what is promised is not. It's a lie coming from the father of lies. The context of the verbs here that's used uh, for weary and, and heavy laden, uh, the context of that is, the, is that the people were fully loaded up with a full load and then asked to continually carry it perpetually all the time. This full load all the time, everywhere. No break, no rest. It wears you out to try to live that way. In this specific context, Jesus is talking about the religious rules that the Pharisees and religious leaders had placed on the people. The context of where he's talking about now, that's what he's talking about. That's their heavy burden, this, these religious rules that had been placed on them. All these rules and regulations that were posed as the word of God, but were not the laws of God, but were the laws of man. And it was a heavy burden to bear. And it was wearing everybody out. Except those in power. It wasn't wearing out the Pharisees. wasn't bothering them a bit. Jesus says later on in chapter 23, I believe, of Matthew. That, hey, you put all these rules on people that are wearing them out, but you ain't lifting the finger. You ain't even trying. And, and why would you if you were in power? Why would you even really try? They didn't need to do all this stuff to gain God's favor. Because obviously they already had God's favor. I mean... Look at how good we are doing. God must really love us was the attitude of the Pharisees and still the attitude of many religious people that don't know Jesus. Here's how messed up these people were, these Pharisees, these religious leaders that were placing this burden on these people. Here's how messed up they were. In the next chapter, if you go on and read chapter 12, which I highly encourage you to do, or anything else in the Word of God this week at some point in time, in the next chapter, they're trying to catch Jesus in some religious trap some rule breaking so they can prove that he's a bad guy and he's not who he says he is. He cannot be that guy because he's breaking the religious rules. And they get mad about Jesus' disciples eating a little grain because they were hungry walking through a field on the Sabbath. Oh, no. That's working on the day of rest. Never mind that you're starving to death. God wouldn't want you to eat. You can't work on the Sabbath, you horrible, horrible people. How could you possibly do something so bloodthirsty and awful and terrible and sinful? And Jesus gives them an example from Scripture about how they're wrong, about how they're placing the rules of man over the rules of God. I was working on the day of rest, they said. And then they get mad. This one's the one that really surprises me. Or not surprises me, but I don't know, it just aggravates me. It aggravates me. They get mad about Jesus healing someone on the Sabbath. He healed someone on the Sabbath, on the day of rest. You're breaking God's laws, they said. God says no work on the Sabbath. And Jesus is like, seriously? I think that's what he said. That's not what it says in the Aramaic or the Greek, but I think that's what he said. At least that's what I would have said if I were Jesus 
But as I've said many times, be glad that I'm not. You're breaking God's laws. Someone got, got physically healed of a deformed arm, and they tried to say it was a bad thing because he's breaking the rules. Now, I'm not going to go down this path, but I could start naming things that we still do today that we place over the things that matter. Now, you wouldn't get mad if I healed somebody with a broken arm. But you might get aggravated about something else. I ain't going there because we don't have the time. But I want to real bad, but it's not the point for today, so I'm moving on. <laughs> Jesus says, come to me. Come to me. Now, usually Jesus doesn't say, come to me. He usually says what? Come and follow me. Come after me. Come follow me. But here he says, come to me. Come to me. Come, come, come follow me, but, but here, come to me. Not come to my rules. Not come to the temple. Not, not, but come to me. Be, because my presence and my ways will give you rest. Just come to me. Jesus is still calling. Has always been calling the same thing. Just come to me. If what, if what you are calling... Following Jesus in your life is wearing you out, then you aren't following Jesus. You're just following rules. I'm going to say that again because somebody needs to hear that this morning. If what you are calling following Jesus, being a Christian, whatever it is that you picture that to be, if doing that is wearing you out, then you are not following Jesus. You are following rules. Because Jesus says, come to me and you'll find rest for your souls. Interesting. I hope that makes you uncomfortable because it makes me uncomfortable. Because I'm prone to try to do that. I'm prone to try to show I'm good enough. I'm prone to try to do all the things. I'm prone to try to be there for everybody and do all the stuff and be a good guy and follow the rules and follow the checklist and make checklists and check off the checklist because it feels good to have the checklist and do all the things. And then you get at the end of that and you're like, you can barely stand sometimes. Maybe you're not following Jesus. I'm not saying you're not saved. But maybe you're not following, maybe you're not doing it the way he wants you to do it. If it's just consistently wearing you out. Just check that today, maybe. Check yourself. Check where, see where you are. Examine yourself, as Paul says. I've definitely examined myself doing these words. He says, take my yoke. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me. It's an interesting statement to say. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me. What is a yoke? Many of us know. Some of you may not. Everyone in Jesus' day knew what a yoke was. Here's a goofy looking picture of what it is. This is a yoke. That thing that's connecting that cattle. It's a yoke. It's a thing used to tie oxen together so they can work together pulling a load, carrying a burden together. Jesus says to take his yoke upon you and learn from him. Get this. You still have work to do. We still have something to do. Jesus is not saying, get saved, follow me, and sit on a cloud and do nothing forever. That's not what he's saying. We still 
have a work to do. We still have a load to carry. A load to get from point A to point B, which is our life that we have been given. It's not that you don't have a responsibility to carry out a work to do. It's that you have God's work to do. And while it is a load, it is not a burden. And there's a difference between the two things. It's not a burden. You'll have an appropriate load. A load that God has designed for you to carry. And only you to carry. It's perfectly fitted for you. It's perfectly suited for you. It will be rewarding and fulfilling to bear this load. We've said this many times, but work existed prior to sin. We like work. It's good for us. It feels good to do things, to accomplish things. It feels good. We have a work to do, church. Jesus quotes Jeremiah 6, 16. We've already said that at the end of verse 29, that you will find rest for your souls when you do it his way. The rewarding, fulfilling work, this way of Jesus, this way of doing life his way, there is a real peace and rest in it for our souls because a God-sized hole can only be filled by God. It can be fitted and suited to the right size to fill that hole in your soul. It's the correct yoke that you need. Because he says, my yoke is easy and my burden is light. I don't look at that and think easy. But Jesus says, my yoke is easy. It's kind of neat, though. And you know, you know, you guys know I can weird out and nerd out. Not weird out, but nerd out on words. I can get a little nerdy on the words and all that. It's interesting to me how words are used. Language is such a powerful thing. God uses language to create everything. So I think there's something to that. Not trying to justify my nerdiness, but maybe a little. The word for easy is krestos. Krestos. It's the same word in one of my favorite verses, Ephesians 4.32. Ephesians 4.32 says, and be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving one another, just as God also forgave you in Christ. The word in that verse for kind is krestos. Same word, same conjugation. Everything about it is the same. For my yoke is kind. Do you think about a yoke, a load to carry from here to there being kind? It's kind of strange, but it's kind of different if you can get yourself to think, see it and think that way. Or Romans 2.4. Romans 2.4 says, God's kindness is intended to lead you to repentance. Kindness, again, being the same word. Christos. That word also means Fit for use, fit for good, usable, suitable, the right fit. The, the yoke of Jesus' way will fit you correctly. What if I said to you this? What if I said to you this? I probably wouldn't. I definitely wouldn't say run, but I might say walk. But I probably wouldn't say this, but if I did, just bear with me. What if I said to walk to the park and back? What if I asked you to do that? Now, those of you who have... Growing up here, you know exactly how far that is. Stuart, how far is that? Exactly. a baby. It's a mile from there, down there, and back. That's not too bad, right? If I ask you to walk down there and walk back, unless you have some major physical ailment right now, ailment right now, most of us could do that. Now, what if I said you had to make that walk to the park and back with shoes that were four sizes too small? 
or 10 sizes too big. Makes a difference, right? How things fit makes a difference. And Jesus says his yoke fits you just right. Now, I wasn't planning on telling this, but it's too funny of a story not to tell. So, my freshman year of college, last game of the year, we left late at night to go spend the night to play in Delta State. Craig Cannell. Delta, I hate I hate Delta State. I really do. With a, with a purple passion. Uh, we were pretty good that year, and they were really good that year. They won the national championship. And uh, anyway, so I'm a freshman. I'm an 18-year-old idiot. And I get on the bus, the charter bus, and I realize that I've forgotten my game cleats in my locker. So I jump out of the bus. I run into the locker room because Coach Holly didn't play. You weren't late or you got left. I run into the locker room. I run to my locker. I reach into my locker. I grab my cleats. I run back out. I put it in my travel bag. I get on the bus. Made it. The next day, we're getting ready for the game. I pull my stuff out of my travel bag, and I've got my left practice cleat and my left game cleat. And I was terrified of our head coach at the time. And I was like, well, two options. I can tell, I can wear these. That's not going to work. I can tell Coach Holly, that's not happening. Or I can go to our trainer and get the shoes out of the extra man bag. Now, if you don't know, football coaches pack an entire bag of things. Even in high school, we did this whenever I coached. We have an entire bag of everything that you could possibly wear for idiots like me who forget things. And you'd be surprised what kids can forget. I've had kids forget helmets, shoulder pads, everything. But I had a left practice cleat and a left game cleat. Now, the problem with that was, was the shoes were size 8. Actually, they were size 9. And if you don't know, I wear a size 13. But the options were wear the size 9 and not complain or tell Coach Holly. So I wore the size 9s. Now, the good thing about it was it was so dadgum cold in Cleveland, Mississippi that night that my feet were numb during the game and were, continued to be numb from coldness until the next day. But I'm here to tell you, wearing shoes that don't fit is not very fun. Can you imagine being yoked together with a yoke that's too small? Squeezing off your air? Trying to pull a load? Or, a, or, a, or it's too big and it's bouncing all over the place and it's rubbing you and giving you sores? making it even harder to have leverage on the load that you're pulling. Jesus says his yoke is easy. It's suitable. It's fit for use, proper fit. And in that regard, it's even kind. His load is kind. And that load, the fortion is the word for load, that you are carrying is light. Alephros, light. The same word used in 2 Corinthians 4.17 for momentary light. Affliction is producing for us an eternal weight of glory far beyond all comparison. I love that verse. It reminds us that this world is short and light and momentary, and what is to come is way better. This load we carry is nothing compared to the reward of eternal glory in the presence of Christ Jesus. It's a reminder that we need often. Jesus is way better than what the world offers. Jesus is right. His way is right. Jesus' Jesus's way is good. And it is kind. So when the world tells you things, tell, so excuse me, when the word tells you things like Philippians 4, 6 through 7 tells you, believe it. Believe it, church. Here's what it says. Be anxious for nothing. But in everything, by prayer and supplication, 
with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all comprehension, all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Philippians 4, 6 through 7. Believe him when he says that. Believe him. Be anxious for nothing. Easier said than done. What is anxiety? It's living in fear of a future that hasn't happened yet. That's what anxiety is. To be anxious is to be living in fear of a future that has not happened yet. It's the opposite of faith. To be anxious for nothing. Or 1 Peter 5, 7 says, casting all your anxieties on him because he cares for you. Do you believe that? Believe it. He's good. He's a good God. Psalm 55, 22 says, cast your burden on the Lord and he will sustain you. He will never Permit the righteous to be moved. It reminds me of that song. Cast your burdens unto Jesus. I think of that song every time I read that verse. Some of y'all don't know that, but that's cool. Whatever. I don't care. I've never had a problem being a geek. Doesn't bother me a bit. You are yoked with Jesus, and he's pulling the load with you. Give him the burden. Let him carry it with you. Stop trying to carry the load of the world by yourself. His way, his load is a suitable load. It's a well-fitting load. It's a kind load. When you come to him and you are yoked with him and you learn and follow his ways, that's how it is. Trust him that that is true. Trust his word, not your feelings. Your feelings are a lie. Your feelings are coming from a sinful, broken body with a sinful, fallen mind in a sinful, fallen nature in a sinful, fallen world. Your feelings don't know. Speak God's word, God's truth to your feelings and act upon his word regardless of your feelings. Stop feeling and just do it. Just do what he's calling you to do. It's kind of like this. I wasn't sure if I was going to have time. I'm going to pick on you, Josh. Come on. Since I forgot to get somebody else. Right? Here's a suitcase. Anybody ever had to carry a suitcase to the airport? Josh, can you pick that suitcase up and just carry it over here a little ways? Lift with your legs. <laughs> Hope I don't throw you. Okay, stop before you throw your back out. Okay? It's hard to do it that way, right? It's hard. That's the world's way. But the exact same load, the work that you're called to do, done Jesus' way. Now use that instead. Boy, way to, way to make my illustration come true. How you like that, Dusty? I'm following you. I love you, dog. You inspire me on the regular, right? Same weight, same load. Done correctly. Totally different outcome. So let's get practical real quick because you know I like to get practical. Ways to help physically. Here are some things you can do when it comes to mental health that will actually help you. Have a routine and a schedule. If you don't have one, get one. Our brains are not wired, do not handle being in chaos all the time. The more consistent you can make things where you're not having to make decisions on everything every single day, the better your brains work. Get up at a similar time, try to go to bed at a similar time, do things at a similar time, have a routine, have a schedule, take a break from them because it will drive you crazy. That's what vacations are for. That's what rest is for. But have a routine, have a schedule. Eat good whole foods as often as possible. The junk we eat affects our brains, period. Meat, good meat, fruit, dairy, 
That's about it. The rest of it's junk, especially vegetables. If God wanted you to eat vegetables, he would have made them taste better. <laughs> Just telling you, I'm only halfway being facetious. I actually, I actually mean that, but I'm saying it in a funny way. Be hydrated. Your brains are 70 to 75% water. If you're constantly drinking junk and not drinking water, your brain ain't going to work right. That's just all there is to it. Maybe it ain't Satan. Maybe you're just dehydrated. Get consistent sleep as much as possible. Work out. Exercise. I skipped over that one. That was my fault. Do you know, do you know that Harvard, Harvard, okay, smart people that lean a certain direction, Harvard said... In a study, they did a study, and they said that people that worked out consistently, exercised consistently, did 30 minutes of exercise three to five times a week, had just as much reduction in their depressive symptoms as those who took SSRIs, antidepressants. Exact same. The only side effect of exercise is you might hurt your back. Be careful with that. Done that once or twice. Other than that, it's all good. It's good for you. Do stuff. Be in motion. Get off your rear end. I don't feel like getting off your rear end. There you go. Listen to your feelings again. Just get off your rear end and do something. Just walk. Exercise. Go play pickleball. Do something. I'm not going to, but somebody else can. I'm not doing it. I don't do it for spite now. I'm just not just that hard-headed. I'm sorry. Things that you can do help spiritually to help mental health. The power of four. We've talked about this numerous times. When you engage with God's word on a consistent basis, more than you don't, which is why it's four, four days a week or more, if you will read or listen to God's word, things get better in your life. Scientific study. Scientific study. There was a, about a third reduction in the feeling of loneliness for people that read the Bible four times a week or more than those that did not. It works. The power of prayer. And I don't mean this, the junk, generic prayers that we pray most of the time. I mean the real prayers, the psalm-like prayers, the, pray, the prayers where you get to go to God and you're like, God, I don't like this, and I don't like him, and I don't like her, and I want you to do something about it. Real prayers. Those kind of prayers help because he'll whisper to you, well, here's what you did the last couple of days. You sure you're better than them? But it works. Power of community. Being together. I, I'm a person that likes people, but, I, I, but, that, but socializing drains me. Okay? But I still cannot wait to go to Forks and Fellowship every time I have Forks and Fellowship. It's not the only way you can have community, but it is a simple way. I walk out of that every time. I'm like, man, so glad I was there. Just being in the presence of each other. Being here together. Spending time in prayer and in the word with each other. The power of worship. Do not underestimate the power of being here on a regular basis and engaging in worship. Not spectating worship, but participating in worship. Don't underestimate the power of that. I've seen it. And then the other thing is this. Get help. Just, just get help. It's okay. It's okay to get help if you need help with something. Often, people come to me with things that I am not trained to help you with. You know what I say? Well, here's what you need to do. No, that's not what I say. 
I say, you need to go find someone who is trained to handle this. I'll help you find someone who is trained to help you with this. It's okay to see a mental health professional. It's okay. There's nothing wrong with it. Not only is there nothing wrong with it, it's actually wise. It can be good for you. My dad's tough enough to do it. You should be too. Get help. Because here's, here's the thing. Finish where we started. First and ultimately, come to Jesus. He says, come to me. Come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden. Will you always feel great? No. But he's there. He wants to go through it with you. He wants to carry it with you. He will carry it with you. His word promises that he will carry it with you and that he will be there with you. And that you'll have a peace that you can't explain in words. Anybody ever had that? A peace, an understanding that you cannot explain in words? You went through something and you just can't explain how somehow Jesus was with you and you just make it. I don't, I don't know. Come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden. I will give you rest. My yoke is easy and my burden is light. The first thing is you have to come to him for salvation through faith in him and his work on the cross. That's the first step. And then continually come back to him in repentance for a growing relationship. You come to Jesus once for salvation and continually for a growing relationship. Just like you don't say your vows to your spouse. You say your vows to your spouse, that makes you married, but you don't ever not see them again or you won't be married very long. doesn't work. It's the same thing. Come to him once for salvation. Trust in him. Give your faith to him. Give your life to him. Say that you believe that he is your Lord and Savior, but then continually grow that relationship. That's what he says. My yoke Take my yoke upon you and learn from me. He's not going to force it on you. You have to pick up the yoke and put it on. Learn from me. Continually growing relationship. He says, come to him, all you who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. So I ask you this morning, won't you come? Won't you come to Jesus today? See the goodness of God today? Come to him today and experience the rest for your souls today? Today is the day of salvation for the rest of your life, the beginning of the rest of your life, a newness of life, following him, taking his yoke upon you. If you want to discuss any of that, I'll be down here during the invitation during this song. Altar's open if you need to pray about things. I'll pray for us and we'll finish up in song. Father God, I come to you today and I thank you for your grace and your mercy. I thank you that, Lord, you are good. I thank you that you do give us a work to do that gives our life meaning. I thank you for the, for the joy that comes uh, from living for you, God, and, for, and from carrying out the responsibilities you give us. I thank you for salvation and the forgiveness of our sins. I thank you that you don't give up on an idiot like me or anyone else, or that you don't, that you don't turn your back on us. You say you will never forsake us, Father. I thank you for that. I pray today that there are uh, prayers that need to be lifted up to you during this time, that they would. Lord, if there's... If there's uh, a submission of a, of a heart and soul, a life that needs to take place. God, if somebody wants, needs to get saved here this morning, that today would be the day of salvation. Lord, that if, if it's just a time to, to sing praises to you, then that would be the case during this time, God. But whatever, the, whatever needs to take place during this time, God, uh, that today would be the day that your business is done and you are glorified and honored in how we do it. And I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Why don't you just stand with us?